0: The good, the bad, the ugly, ugly, ugly.
1: Welcome to Sustain Nutrition's podcast, Chewing the Fat, where Joe and James will be discussing all things good, bad, and ugly. Regarding training and nutrition. So pull up your pants, put your best foot
0: forward and get ready for some serious oral pleasure. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Joe and James. We are talking about the reasons. Well wow, the reasons why people are fat, why people get fat, why we store fat, why fat's fat, fat fatty, fat, fat. Ah. This
1: is this was your yeah. suggestion today. So what is what's inspired this one then?
0: This I think it's um, more a few things have come up when people are confused about why their body is doing certain things, like why if they do a load of activity, their body is getting more hungry, or sending more hunger signals, why, you know, it's so easy to gain fat and so difficult to lose it. So I wanted to go into a bit more kind of evolution side of it, really, as to why we're set up to gain fat and hold on to fat
1: yes i think a nice place to start might be um just on a random way we'll start start going random and go from there is the idea about the paleo diet and people thinking that this is the best way um to get shredded so the paleo diet if people don't know is the idea of eating like a caveman so if it hasn't walked grown or swam then you shouldn't be eating it um and it's kind of similar to what we recommend is a diet based around whole foods and as with all of these things it can get Bastardised to a massive degree, you know, and you can see this through some of the keto approaches that people take by having four pork chops smothered in butter and think it's going to be a fat loss diet. And I think that's the important thing with stuff like this is always just to take the relevant information away and to not move too far from it. You see this a lot, like with paleo brownies and paleo baking. And That's one of the things that I see clients kind of get wrong, quote unquote wrong. The guy had a healthy muffin and it's made with almond flour, like you're grounding up flour, you're grounding up This is more calorific than white flour. And I think to to pull this back, that, you know, to some kind of relevance what we're talking about, is that cavemen weren't shredded, that people often have this belief that the paleo diet is, you know, the best way to get lean, or keto is the best way to get lean. And actually, there's 101 ways to do it. And just by manipulating your foods to try and eat like a caveman is not the most effective Wait, it's just one tool in your toolbox.
0: One hundred percent. And the paleo diet wasn't by design; it was just the food that was available then. You know, and then you know, if you were a caveman and you came across fifty pineapples, <laughs> you're going to try and eat as many fucking pineapples as humanly possible because they're delicious. You know, it's not like oh, well, I'm just going to have one pineapple because I'm going to stick to uh, part of my five a day. Um, but yeah, it's again, it's people wanting some kind of structure, isn't it? As a good segue, um,
1: I seem to remember once you were doing the paleo diet and I think I offered you a lemon bakewell and you were like, if a caveman walked past a lemon bakewell, he wouldn't turn it down.
0: Do you know what I mean? Hunter gatherer. <laughs> <laughs> you gave that to Captain Kevin; he'd be all over that.
1: Top top forager, absolutely. Well, that's uh, it. If
0: I go to the fridge and find a, a cherry bakewell, i am quids in. I'm cave surviving.
1: So would, caveman wouldn't turn it down, would he? And I think that's a good <laughs> point to get to, um, <laughs> to, to, bring this, to bring this back on track. Is the whole idea behind survival. Um, And as, as Wendy has just said, we live longer than cavemen now. We don't live like cavemen either. And that actually, a lot of the signals that we still have to deal with on a day to day basis are just follow on from that in that people, you know, confuse low blood sugar for starvation because back in the day it was. And that was then the desire of. I'm going hungry, I might die because you didn't have easy, easy access to lemon bakewells and 50 pineapples and you know going to the shops year round and there being this endless supply of food. And it's trying to get past this. And I think that that's always a nice realization I see clients have when they say things like, "You know, I went hungry for a couple of hours, I realized it wasn't going to kill me and I just waited and I just rolled it out. And we kind of have this in modern society, this idea that, we can have everything all the time we can have delicious meals that are easy to access they're easy to cook they're cheap we're going to be full all the time and have this body like a god and actually just because we have that in a technological sense doesn't mean we can have that in a physical sense and i think that we just get so used to having everything we want at a whim that it becomes very hard for people to understand that you know sometimes you're going to have to go hungry sometimes you can't have what you want right now um in order to, to have the goals and the body and the health that you want.
0: Yeah, and it's not a bad thing. It's one of the questions I ask my clients sometimes, it's particularly if they make a poor choice, or what, even what they deem as a poor choice. You know, when people say, oh, I had biscuits, I regret it, it's because I was hungry. It's like, okay, so what do you think would have happened if you'd have just not had them? Well, i just stayed hungry for a few more hours. Okay, it's not going to kill you, is it? And that's, like you said, our bodies are still set up very much like a cave person or we'll keep it PC. Like a cave person. Can you say cave person? I don't want to be gender <laughs> specific. I don't, to get, I don't want to kick out. I get, you know, we'll get outed. That's, um, no,
1: that's non-binary. We need it. We need is to it? Know. Is all
0: right, a, a cave person? I don't know. Maybe they don't identify as a person. Anyway, by the by. Um, yet, our lifestyles, you know, kind of our access to 24 hours food, you know, takeaways, all these things, highly palatable foods, you know, foods that have been created to be specifically designed to be attractive to us, to be delicious. That's all changed. Yeah, our bodies are still set up to, like you say, kind of hunt and gather, uh, and that's where, well, you know, that's why we've got the issues with the obesity and stuff. Like, you go out in nature, and I think other than, off the top of my head, Joe, you might be able to come up yourself. Um, other than avocados, there's nothing really in nature that contains both sugar and fats, or carbs and fats.
1: I believe so. So when yeah.
0: you eat, yeah, when you eat a donut, your body's just like, what is this? It's super excited about it. And then again, because of that survival thing, which you know, we'll go into a bit deeper, your body just goes, this is an amazing source of calories. This, I have to get more and more and more of this because you're always setting up for that famine, which never comes. Even during lockdown, you don't have to get a famine. You know? Takeaways were still open.
1: Yeah, the, the shops might have been running dry. We bought some really interesting ingredients when uh, when the shelves are a bit sparse of like elk mints. Well, I'll give that a go. Why not? It's the only thing left? Sounds the lame. Elves? Yeah, sounds good. And I think that that's something that always makes me smile when clients, you know, they, they go off plan and they say, you know, I've not had this stuff for ages, but it was delicious. Like, of course it was delicious. It's because yeah. your brain is going to absolutely love this food. And from a very, very young age, you know, we get so conditioned to this, that this is the way to solve these issues. And you see often when people are saying things like, you know, I felt really tired, I felt really drained, So I had these foods to give me energy. There's no reason that you can't have sweet potato, oats, fruit, you know, as part of a balanced meal, you will get the blood sugar rise that you need. You just don't get it immediately. And yeah. I think that's, that's the thing that we often confuse. And also the, the dopamine rush, you know, this is the reason that it's so palatable is that our brains say this is brilliant for survival and it makes you feel good. You know, the two things are linked. If the things that were good for survival weren't much fun, then we wouldn't be very good at procreating to the point where a species of 7 billion people. You know, it's this sex with food, isn't its You know, it's enjoyable, people do it more. It means that we live for longer until it doesn't
0: work. Go on. People having sex with food. (laughs) I mean, that's not quite what I said, I don't think. Like a hollowed out melon. I'll have to. Or... uh a satsuma for you <laughs> <laughs> so going on to that kind of just pulling back slightly pull back push in um so that's the two two kind of main objective as that we have as you know there's no children listening to us as humans is to one to survive and two to procreate that's it and again our bodies are just purely set up to do that so one of the survival things like i said you know kind of going back to that caveman cave person is to you're going to have parts where you feast, you're going to have much more parts when you famine. So actually, you know, gaining fat is a survival tool. So those people who are, you know, naturally lean, who have six packs, back in the day, they'd be dead. (laughs) So, you know, if you are you gain fat easily, it's because you're a survivor. You're a winner. Um, So that was it. Like I said, to that caveman that I described, who came across those pineapples, and ate those, like, oh, my God, this is fucking amazing. I'm going to get a lot of calories in just try and store as much fat as possible so they can survive. I've actually got some stats here, Joe. I did a bit of research just whilst I was eating my uh, high-protein yogurt from Aldi. The brookley one's 25 grams. Get them, they're delicious. you your yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I had yogurt. And for, I buy pineapple, so I'm going to bit pineapple. So if you took an average, like, kind of relatively lean, 75 kilogram man, uh, so I would say, would you say average lean, Joe? I'd say about 15%.
1: Yeah, none of those. None of those that sustain then. No seventy-five kilo men.
0: Yes. Sustain. Yes. Great. You frozen? Hmm? I can't see me. Has everyone died? Yeah. You there? No, definitely not. So a seventy-five kilo man of average body fat. Oh, hang on. We've got a bit of lag. Are we there? Mm-hmm. We're all good. I don't know. Everything froze. Is Everyone still there? Right. So yeah, about fifty percent body fat, 75 kilo man will be storing 100, around 100,000 calories worth of energy in body fat because it is so calorie dense. And that's why it's such a good survival tool. Whereas they kind of said, if, it were, if you were looking at storing that in glycogen, it'd be around an extra 40 to 60 kilograms of body weight. Right. And That's just coming down to carbohydrates being four kilograms or calories per gram and then fats being nine, kilogram, uh, nine calories per gram. So it's just a, such an efficient way of storing energy that when you go days and even weeks without food, you can tap into that. And that's why you know. And this goes into how one of our clients talk about it, kind of like a starvation mode thing. It's just, it makes no sense. You know. You don't have the Chilean miners stuck down in a mine for a month coming out fatter because they've not been eaten or they've been eating you know, tins of tuna. They're not doing high knees and jumping jacks down there or German volume training either. <laughs> your body will tap into that start the fat stores, but it'll save it to last because it's the most calorie dense stuff. So again, it's a, it's a complete survival technique. And that's when, you know, your dieting, it's tough because your body thinks, I'm going into starvation. I'm gonna try and do everything I can to stop myself from burning calories, which is, you know, we'll go into like kind of reduction in meat and you know, general activity and all that jazz, you know, kind of slowing down different bodily functions. Yes, you still there? Yes, yes.
1: I'm just listening for once.
0: Oh, good. Sorry, Slatter. Whoa. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. what do you want to add to that? Carry on. Um,
1: I think an interesting thing there is why protein is so essential and why me and you bang on about protein endlessly, because if you don't look after your muscle stores, your body will just give up that protein. So much easier. It's so much easier for your body to break down protein when you're in a deficit than it is to break down fat stores because we don't need excess muscle. We don't even really need adequate muscle. Is that fat is, as you say, what we need, and this is the the issue you see kind of with low calorie dieting or when people do the short intense diets and they're not looking after their, you know, not consuming their protein. And you know, you do see it obviously more with vegetarians and vegans because it is harder. To get the necessary volume of macronutrients in, and that you just run that risk, and it's just a big part of why I mean you endlessly say protein and veg, protein and veg, protein and veg, because you're just running that gauntlet of risking giving up precious muscle that you know is so hard to come by, um, and it's just active tissue, and ultimately it's what people are wanting is we're wanting that the healthier, leaner physique. In our experience,
0: yeah, 100%. Like you say, because it is active tissue. So this is kind of this goes back to um you know when you look at people you you might know people who've done a lot of working out have got a lot of muscle and they stop training they lose the muscle you know that comes off because it's costing your body energy and your body's just like i'm not using this there's no and that's the whole whole point of trying to stay strong as possible whilst you are losing fat because you want to almost trick your body into thinking fuck i need this muscle you know going back to the hunter gatherer like i need this muscle to survive i need this to run around to climb up I don't know, mountains or whatever. So I need to hold on to this. This is essential to me. And then it's going to be more likely to burn off the calories from your carbohydrates, from your, your fats, etc. So if you're not using that muscle, if you're giving your body <clears throat> excuse me, no reason to hold on to it, it will break it down because it is just costing energy. And again, your body wants to save as much energy as possible all the time for famine. Again, the famine doesn't come. So this is what I'm saying. When your body is just, it's 100% set up to store fat all the time and when you are dieting when you're trying to maintain your weight you're constantly fighting that um and that's when people struggle and that's kind of the point of this podcast is to say it is hard because evolutionary we're set up to store as much fat as possible we're not set up to be obese by any means that's a, a byproduct of today's environments and you know us being less active you know more Highly palatable foods, more availability of foods, etc. So that's what we're up against. That's what we're fighting.
1: I think it's a good time to caveat into um, some exercise pointers on that as well, because obviously throughout the day you're going to have periods of higher and lower blood sugar, and you're also going to have that in regards to exercise. So for those of my clients who saw my struggles on the weekend, was I did um, you know a workout on the Sunday. My blood sugar was on the floor. And then you go through this million and one justifications of why you should eat crap food. And I did. And the problem then comes with the affirmation stuff that I'm doing. You know, I'm well aware that I'm not as content with how I look. I'm annoyed by my choices. And this is the cycle that people go through endlessly. And people will say, you know, how do I combat this? And it's the same with exercise as it is with hunger, as it is with hormonal cravings. You have to balance the books as cheaply as possible. You know, it's all well and good me burning... A thousand calories for a row. If I then smash in a thousand calories of fruit pastels, I've completely null and voided the whole process of me doing it, or a big part of it anyway. And it then comes down to how can you balance that blood sugar without taking in loads of calories? And it's always going to come down to the same things: lean proteins, lots of veggies, slow-release carbs, nutrients, dense fats. Make sure that your blood sugar goes back to that stable amount in a controlled manner and yeah you won't feel as good as you would do immediately you don't get that burst of energy but it's then always weighing up the pros and the cons of how do i feel two minutes after the event how do i feel two days after it two months two years you know because you've got that moment of pleasure and then all of these negatives afterwards and i think that that's that key thing about getting people to think longer term that deferring of pleasure and deferring of happiness that you you know you can't have everything right now but if you feel better afterwards, you know, to the day, to the week, to the year, it's gonna be a worthy sacrifice. Oh, you've gone. Where you at? I'll have to do some filling.
0: Yeah, so, <laughs> this, is gonna, this is gonna push my ad lib skills. Oh, you're back. I'm back. I don't know, so, something happened. You, you slurred a little bit.
1: <laughs> I really wish you'd come back and just had a mustache <laughs> instead of a
0: beard. How did he do that? It's unbelievable. Did you hear what I said? I'm not going to say it again.
1: <laughs> oh, he's gone. Well, I'm going to pick up on the questions then. <laughs> so to stop your body burning muscle. You have to keep using it. Is that right? Absolutely. You, what you tend to find is that people have like a baseline amount of muscle. And often when people start eating a higher protein diet, they their baseline amount of muscle will have been almost an insufficient amount in that they put on muscle relatively quickly when people first start. Um, And then over a period of time as you have more muscle, that it then gets harder to keep and you do have to keep using it. You know, it's active tissue. It's not going to be maintained by doing nothing. It's just easier to maintain than it is to gain. I can see James here. I don't know if he's just
0: listening in quietly. I'm back. Excellent. You hear me? I I'm can. back. I can see you. Joyce. I blame 5G. Um, so like, do you want to have a quick chat about uh, leptin and ghrelin? Oh, go for it. Treat yourself. Yes. Yeah, so, two really important hormones that you want to concentrate on when you're with your fat loss. Basically, when you are full, your body will send signals in the form of leptin to tell you that you are full. When you're hungry... You will um, secrete a lot of ghrelin, which will tell your, or which will signal your body to eat more. So these are the kind of the hunger, the satiation, and then the hunger hormones. So ghrelin is obviously the one that you want to concentrate on, kind of curbing as much. So you're always going to get hungry, um, and this goes back to like Joe said, you know, kind of with increased exercise or even within a calorie deficit. So quite often we'll see people like massively under eat on one day, and then you need to give them the heads of like. You know, you might have felt okay today or, you know, if they've done a massive workload, like a massive cycling or loads of gardening or anything like that, you know, like your grand says, building up an appetite. The following day, your body, like I said, wants to either gain weight or kind of maintain a bit of homeostasis. So if all of a sudden it's aware that it's in a thousand calorie deficit, the ghrelin is going to be going, get me some food and get me some calories in. I'm going to die. I'm going to starve. Which is obviously quite dramatic very similar to some of our clients. Um, did I say that? Yes. Um, so what you want to do is kind of trick the leptin levels to be released, but without consuming thousands and thousands of calories. You know, and this is where people fall into the trap when often we'll see people training for half marathons for marathons. So they're doing, you know, huge output in calories, but then they're fueling back up with all the wrong calories. So, you know, just being realistic. If you were 70, 80 kilos, and you go out and you you know run a half marathon. Say you burn a thousand calories, which is huge. Say you burn you know fifteen hundred calories, which is a huge calorie burn for someone of that weight. And then you come back and go, "I've done this. I'm going to have a Domino's." You you know, you're fifteen hundred calories in the hallway. You're in a fifteen hundred calorie surplus. So it's just being aware of how you can manipulate these hormones, kind of by you know coming back from a run. Having a sweet potato, you know, having a two chicken breasts, having a lot of broccoli, having a lot of asparagus. So your stomach is full, all these, you know, leptin levels go up. Yes, I'm full of satiated, but you have not gone crazy on the calories. You've managed to fill up on your 600 calories tops as opposed to, you know, three and a half thousand. So that's where, again, another reason why it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't promote eating protein and vegetables. They're just so important because they take up so much room. And this is why I kind of bang on with all my clients is, so yep, spinach is a vegetable, salad is a vegetable, fantastic, but it weighs fuck all. There's my one for the explicit podcast. You've got to think about the volume that this takes up in your stomach. Same thing with yogurt, same thing with protein shakes, same thing with soup. It's how long will it stay in your stomach and keep you full? How long until your body goes, hang about, stomach's empty, I need to eat, you know, blood sugar's low, whatever it is. So you've got to constantly think about, right, this meal, like, do I want to have a shake or do I want to eat, you know, chicken and broccoli? You know, that's going to have a massive difference how long it's going to stay in your stomach. Like, how long does it take spinach to break down compared to how long would it take, you know, asparagus and broccoli? It's just these little tricks that you can use to kind of trick your body into thinking it's full, it's, you know, it's satiated whilst cutting back on those calories as well.
1: And I think that's why a little bit of calorie knowledge is really useful is that people will often go, well, I'm not hungry, so I'll have a shake. Um, but, you know, if you have 100 calories from a shake and you look at 100 calories from a chicken breast, you know, it's probably 80 calorie, eighty grams of chicken, give or take. You know, it's so much more satiating. You get so much more from it. And it's just these little trade-offs that can make a big difference. And I think that before with Sustain, you know, you'd, I'd say things like, you know, it doesn't matter about these little bits. You know, it's only a slice of bread you know a a naan bread or whatever here and there and then actually you find clients who you know don't get me wrong some people get away with it but sadly some people don't and it's a case of just getting all of these little bits to work for you rather than working against you you know if you're getting a curry and you swap between chicken and lamb it could be a huge amount of calorie difference Mm. chicken breast is no grams of fat per hundred and lamb is about 20 to 25 so you're looking at a 200 calorie variation just for changing the meat that you choose and it's these little bits that can all add up and back to kind of the idea of the shake, you know, if you blend up a banana, a little bit of peanut butter and protein powder, which is something that I use, you know, to gain weight or to get food in. And it's just making sure that you're using the tactics that are right for the goal. And that so often, you know, you see people using shakes because they're convenient. Yes, it's got to be a sustainable practice, but if the knock on effect is that you're then really hungry for the rest of the day and you're risking, you know, you're you're giving a red flag to a bull. Then you just have to find out if it works for you. You know, the same with any tactic, isn't it? The Same with fasting, you know, the same with paleo, whatever it may be. If it works for you, brilliant. If it doesn't, then we have to try something different. We have to try something new until
0: we find what does work. Yeah, 100%. It's all about just making this as easy as possible for you, isn't it? So that's, you know, by trying to avoid hunger as much as possible, because hunger, like being drunk, forces you to generally make poor choices, like texting your dominoes texting your ex um so it's just finding the easiest way possible to do it um and kind of like i say you're tricking your body into wanting to lose fat to put it into a positive space where it just goes i have no other choice but to burn fat here because i'm full because my muscles are getting worked you know because i'm in a calorie deficit i'm going to start using this excess fuel now um so it's just yeah kind of getting that mission as easy as possible
1: yeah, I think it's an interesting idea, isn't it? Around you know that our bodies don't want us to lose weight, and you know people often are then very cautious of the various processes that are akin to that. So what I'm getting at is hunger. You know, is they're desperate to stay away from, or people often assume that being hungry is good. I always find that's an interesting one with clients when they associate hunger with a successful diet, and actually I would associate it with an unsuccessful practice because people are hungry for months on end. You're going to go one way, you know, you're going off the deep end at some point. You know, the only person I can think of who doesn't is, uh, is Liam, you know, a good friend yeah. of ours. He's probably the only human being I've ever met who could be hungry for months on end. You could give him all the food in the world and he'd go, No, nah, I'm right, thanks. I haven't met anyone else who can do it. And I think that when you've worked in the fitness industry for 10 years, as I have, and you've found one person who can do it, it's a big red flag that you should be heeding, you should be taking, being aware of. Couple of questions, I don't know if you'd seen them. If you want to, yeah,
0: I was going to say, you know, if people have any questions, then throw them in there. Uh, someone said, if I have carbs at every meal, is it harder to lose weight? Not if you're in um, a calorie deficit. It doesn't matter where the calories come from as such. So, weight loss will always be in calorie in versus calories out, no matter where they come from. There's studies where people have done it, whether they've simply just eaten cake, because people have done it eating at Greg's, people have done it just eating from McDonald's. The calories will drive your fat loss, whether they come from protein, whether they come from carbs, whether they come from fats. The difference will be your food choices will influence your hunger levels, your energy levels, and your health. So if you go on a diet of just cake, expect to be a little bit sickly. probably not going to be the most filling you know, use of your calories. So say if you have 1,500 calories, 1,500 calories in cake will not go very far. It's probably like… I've tried. What, I was going to say, what kind of cheesecake would that be, Joe? You know, it's not a lot of um, wiggle room there, but it still be calories. So whether, like say, if you eat carb, if I only ate a thousand calories per day and they all from carbs, I would still hemorrhage weight loss. You know, carbs have got a bad rap, and you know, going back to what Joe said about the paleo diet, about keto, whatever, people cut carbs, people lost weight. Shocker. People cut carbs, they restricted their calories. Also. A lot of foods that people class as carbs, this is a complete bugbear for me, um, contain the food choices that they struggle with. So when people I just I just spoke to one of my clients, like I was just I just really wanted some carbs and they ate a lot of bread. Sounds like you just wanted a lot of bread. You know, it's two very different things. So if you really you know go, well, I'm not having any carbs, that I'm reducing my carbs, so I'm gonna reduce these highly palatable foods that I always overeat on, you're gonna reduce your calories. So it doesn't matter if you're having oats for breakfast and sweet potato for lunch and rice for dinner, so long as you're in that calorie deficit, it's not going to make a difference.
1: I think a nice point to, to segue to there is kind of frankenfoods that you were saying before, kind of donuts and that, that magic point of 50% carbs and 50% fat that is delicious and really fires off the dopamine response in our brains is that it's often what you see with meals or with the makeup of clients' days when they struggle is because they've had too many carbs and fats combined over the day, and not enough protein and veg. And so often, if you can address that fact, if first of all, you put in the protein and veg, people's carbs and fats have to come down. You've only got so much room. Conversely, if you take out the protein and veg, you have to put carbs and fats in. And that's the, often the issue you see when people are skipping meals, is their snacks are then carbs and fats because people don't tend to snack on protein and veg. It's very few clients that do and always very satisfying when they do because you know how effective it's going to be. An interesting one from Wendy on what are your views on set point weight? And I'm not sure on the exact biological processes behind it, but there's obviously going to be people who can maintain a low body weight or a relatively low body weight on a huge volume of calories. There's other people who can't. And it's certainly a point where when people, people will have to work harder to lose weight. You know, I've got clients who sometimes you're like, how the hell are you eating this and still losing weight? And conversely, people who you go, how the hell are you eating so well? Progressing so slowly, and it's just as always tough shit. It's just the way that it works. I mean, you could yeah, it's
0: just the way it is.
1: You can only work with you know the way that it is, and then it's a case of you know how do you push below your set point weight? So, say your set point weight is higher than you want it to be. Guess what? You get in a calorie deficit and make it as easy as possible. You eat lots of protein, eat lots of veg, eat eat slow release carbs. You know, when I've pushed down and gotten kind of as lean as I've ever gotten. I wasn't particularly hungry because I absolutely nailed the points that I just mentioned would be, I would have prawn and whitefish stir fry with mixed veg. I would have these huge volumes of food, but you know, we probably three, 400 calories a meal. So that is how you do it. And that's how you kind of get to those points below what your set point weight. I would also just mention that a lot of people are going to say, this is my set point weight. And then I look at their food and would we'll go, It's not really a set point weight. I wouldn't say that you've pushed the dieting extremes just yet. You've just not been as strict. You've been as strict as you want to be, rather than to be as strict as you could. You know, everyone's going to have those levels, aren't they? Of what what seems strict to them.
0: Yeah, that's that's the unfortunate harsh reality. I think for some people is you've got to take a step back and be like, you know, when I've had clients who just said, you know, they're not losing weight. They're losing weight, but they're not maybe losing it at the rate that they want. And they'll be like, I've just done everything. There's nothing else I could do. Like, honestly, there's loads more that you could do. It's just, there's not, you know, it's not, there's not nothing else you can do while still remaining kind of comfortable. Again, you know, still keeping this sustainable for you. And this is you know one of the joys of coaching is, it's what's sustainable for the client. It's not, you know, the set. You need to do this workout. You need to follow this plan. You need to be in this deficit. You need to do this, this, and this. We work with the clients and kind of figure out Obviously, these guys are all clients, but um, you know what's going to work for them, and kind of some people are going to willing to go to more extremes than others, and then it's just kind of fitting in that bit of reality there.
1: I think that's a very important thing, isn't it? You get people sometimes who come in and say, "I want to lose two stone in two months, but I don't want to change X, Y, and Z," and you have to say, "Well, I'm really sorry, I've got some bad news. I don't think that's how it's you know, from my experience of working with lots of people, I don't think it's going to quite work like that." By all means, yeah. Because sometimes you do get, you know, the rabbit out of the hat where someone drops weight for fun. You just think, oh my god, this is this is brilliant. Now I wish all clients found it this easy, but it's that's the exception rather than the rule.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. It's always got to be steeped in reality for me. And like I said, it's what, uh, some people want the results, but they're not prepared to go to the extremes to get it. If that makes sense, you're like, you know, working with a guy at the moment. He's like, I want to do this and this and he's tracking his calories, but he's on like 2,400 calories and he's struggling to stick to that. Whereas like, look, then we just need to be realistic because the original goal you said was going to have us kind of chipping away at these calories. And if you're struggling now, then there's no way we're going to be able to, you know, keep cutting down and cutting down because he wants to get, you know, his goal is to get much leaner than he was previously. So he's just, yeah, that's...
1: Are you talking third person? Is this you?
0: No, 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 I am. And that's it, you know, so I'll talk about kind of what I've got in store I'm on week three of my diet. Now, this is a totally unsustainable diet that I'm going to be doing because I'm going to end up, you know, for the last three or four weeks on a, probably around 1600 calories, which is the lowest. I will, that's probably more like a meal for me normally. So, but then, so going back into what Joe said, what am I going to do with that? Well, I'm going to have to switch out from using eggs to using egg whites. I'm going to have to make sure I'm having chicken breast. I'm going to have to. Um, make sure I'm adding an absolute shit ton of vegetables to keep that volume up, to stop me from being starving for the last five weeks of my diet. You know, it's all stuff that we've done before and this is why we advocate. Because if I've got 1,600 calories to spend and I need to hit over 200 grams of protein, so it's always going to be calories, it's always going to be protein for me, then that leaves me like <laughs> 600 calories for the rest of you know, my food. So it's going to be veg city You know, it's going to be Veg City, it's going to be Lean Protein City, it's going to be, you know, a teaspoon of peanut butter smothered on my lip, and that's it. So those are kind of, and again, and I'm going to be battling everything that my body's telling me to do. But that's because I want to get to more of the extremes for me for fat loss. You know, I'm not going to say that I'm going to be like stepping on stage because I'm certainly not going to be. But it's what I'm going to have to do to push my body to kind of trick it into dropping a lot of body fat.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Just what are you, what are you willing to do and where are you willing to get to? And I think that it uh, something I quite like of saying to people is rather than thinking about it from now, assess it in hindsight. So why don't you just do it? Why don't you have a week or two weeks of cutting these foods out of putting the exercise in and then assess afterwards if it was worth it? Because so often people hold back on making these choices because of a perception of how it's going to be. You know, if, I, if you detailed what you just said to me, is I'd say, no, nah, I don't want to do that because I'm going to be too tired on too lower carbs. Now, I know that I can do it. I know I've done it before. If I hadn't had that past experience, I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know that actually it's not too bad and that so often people just need to kind of go through the fire to, to then look back and go, oh, actually, that wasn't too bad. I can do this. And it's that you learn your abilities by by pushing them ultimately and by, and by pushing beyond them. Um, and I think that would be a, you know, a good tip for, for clients to follow is, you know, if there's something you think you can't do, look at it physically. Can you physically eat 1,600 calories a day? Of course you can. You can do it for one day. So why not try doing it for five, you know, not for five weeks, but for a week, and then see how you go. And is it something you can keep going with? And is, is the payoff worth it? And then you can decide, you know, I know that I've dieted down and gone, do you know what, I can't hold this. It's too hard for me. I don't want to do it. I'll do something else instead but it's always something you can come back to because you've built that skill set, you've trodden that path, so you know, whereas a lot of people shy away from trying because of that perception of how hard it's going to be.
0: Yeah, I think just, I feel like we've gone off on a slight tangent, but we'll come back, we'll bring it back. Um, We'll talk about hormones. Is yeah, that fear of discomfort, like, you know, yes, we are sustained nutrition and we want to build plans that people can stick to and give them the skill set that they need to, go off and go on their own, 100%. But sometimes that's going to take a little bit of discomfort, and kind of not something that you see disheartening. Is this, you know, need that people are unhappy, you know, unhappy, and sometimes you know, not pulling punches. You know, what I mean, at a ridiculous, not ridiculous, at a very unhealthy way. You know, some of our clients are dangerously overweight. I'd say, you know, for their health, you know, for kind of chronic illnesses, and then it's. You know, you've gone through this this journey of being unhappy and this yo-yo diet and stuff, and then they're not still prepared sometimes to go a week, like you say, or two weeks without having some wine or without having some chocolate or without having some bread. These things that are keeping them, you know, in this kind of dangerous category. You know, especially with all this stuff that's going on, it's like you are literally putting yourself at higher risk, you know, with the choices that you're making. And it's yeah, it's that fear of like, why don't you just try it? You know, like I can't live without cheese, I can't live without wine, I can't live without this. Like, just try it for a week and just challenge that belief and then just see if that week was the worst week of your life because you didn't have any bread, or was it the worst weekend ever because you didn't have any wine? Or actually, did it have zero you know negative impact on your life? And you know, now you're like two things I've learned from that. One, I can go a weekend without wine, and two, I feel better for not doing it. In fact, three things now I'm one step closer to my goal, and then you try and repeat that again. And it's not that you'll never drink wine again. It's not that you'll never, you know, eat chocolate again, but you need to start making a bit of headway. You need to start making that little bit of progress, you know, taking that control back. Huge part of sustainability is kind of giving the clients the control that they have on those food choices as opposed to the food choices controlling them. So I would say, you know, if you've got something that you, you know, feel that adds so much to your life and you struggle giving it up, then you just give it up for a week for a day, you know, like we've said before, when we've done like really hard diets, it's getting through one day at a time because you get to four o'clock, five o'clock, you're absolutely knackered. You're like, fuck, I just want to eat something really high calorie, you know, like some chocolate, some cashew nuts for you and a drizzle of leisure. Um, And you just get through that day. And then the next day it's like a reset button. You're like, Oh, I'm good to go until four or five o'clock again. And you do the same thing. But then you just <laughs> keep on clocking up those days. And like you say, you kind of prove that you can do it, That it is possible. So that's, Not frustration, but it's something that I see and I'm very conscious of with clients is they're kind of shying away from a little bit of discomfort when, you know, that bit of discomfort will cause you to grow, will cause you to learn, um, will cause you to get back in control. And then you can, you know, a lot of our clients, their goal is to not be conscious about or not be scared and be in control and making their food choices. And the only way you're going to do that is by stepping back and going, I don't want that. You know what? I don't need that. I'm good. And then you'll take control back.
1: Very good. You need a drink? A long
0: one. No, we're good. So, do you want to talk? I, I, just, I saw someone uh, post about, I think it might have been Angela, because she's got a weird, uh, I think it's a work thing, about uh, can she trick her body into getting rid of her? I think she said big bum. I don't want to uh, paraphrase her. But the difference in, again, kind of evolution wise and the hormonal storage of fat. Joe, do you want to touch on that? Because I feel like I talked for ages. No, no, go for it. You first. So just, yeah, again, with the two things, so we're set up to um, live, to survive, and to procreate. So that causes women to store fat on their legs and their bums. So they're trying to, and again, in general, women will store more body fat than men. You know, uh, say a couple of different reasons. One, obviously, men have got more muscle. We've got more testosterone. Uh, And then ladies want to store the body fat for reproducing, for kind of having the energy to grow a baby and to feed a baby as well. So what you'll find is kind of with the different levels of estrogen and testosterone, testosterone being, I'm not just going to say male hormone, but more prominent in males and estrogen more prominent in women, because we've both got, um, you know, amounts of each will cause different um, places or different preferences of where the body fat will be stored. So men will tend to store it on the belly. And then women will store it more on their hips and their thighs and ass. ass. That's very technical. Glutes. Yeah. Got I forgot exactly
1: it. the reason why. And then it's um, the different women store different fat storage points. And that's to do with hormonal fluctuations as well. And then you'll also see after the menopause that women get more male pattern fat gain. Is volatility. Yeah, that's...
0: That's when it'll tend to start going on to the stomach, then, yeah, because the hormonals, hormonals, the hormones are slightly out of whack, has slightly changed. So that's when you'll see women after the menopause who might start, you know, increasing their body fat on their stomach.
1: Yes, absolutely. There's a uh, couple of questions I thought I'd pick up as well, um, unless you had more to add on that.
0: No, no, no. It's just, it's just one of those two where, you know, when people are like, oh, why do I store fat on my you know, my thighs and my bum and my hips and stuff like that. Unfortunately, it's because you're a good survivor. It's, uh, it's for, has it, gone.
1: No, no, it's just great. Okay. Uh, ben said about me- metabolism extremes, mine's been analysed and results of clinical tests showed over time my, my metabolic rate soars and dives over two to three month cycles. Is there a dietary routine which would support regulating my metabolic rate? It would depend why it soars and dives was my first point. And then it depends what you're eating is like over the course of that two to three month cycle. So as always, there's, you know, and this is the stuff me and you are nutrition coaches. We don't work with blood work and clinical testing. So there's going to be limits to our abilities on that front, you know, being completely honest, then also it depends on those influences too. And I think the point I'm getting at is a, there's only so much that me and you can do and B that there's always going to be influencing factors on that. So, it's often a case of people come to us with very complex problems because they're looking for that miracle solution. And actually, the same rules are going to apply to people. Do you have any points on, on metabolic rate or anything you wanted to put in there?
0: Well, one way of increasing metabolism is increasing your lean muscle tissue would be a, a big one for me. But then I say I think you know people will have these things. I've got a slow thyroid, I've got a slow metabolism, etc. And like you said, the the same rules apply food wise. You know, we get people like I'm going, I'm perimenopausal, I'm premenopausal um a postmenopausal, you know, what's different for me, like nothing's different for you. There's one one secret to fat loss and it's consistency. It's just making consistent, sensible choices. Like I say, I'm not going to say consistent, perfect choices, but it's just making consistent choices. And that is the the biggest thing that I see lacking in people's diets, in their fat loss attempts, is they're not consistent, you know, the amount of people, I'm sure it's the same with you, when you start working with them like, well I'm normally, you know, day three is normally when I quit. Day seven is normally when I quit. You know, week three is normally when I quit. It's the lack of consistency. Like, imagine if you'd have stuck to something for six months. Imagine if you'd have stuck to something for nine months. Imagine the the results that you would have had if you'd have stuck to something for a year. Consistency is kind of gonna be key. And again, um, even if your metabolism is on its ass, you're still again it's carriers in versus carries out. It might be harder, but it's not impossible.
1: Yeah, I think that'd be a good point to go into the different factors around fat loss and what makes up the different parts of it. I might need to help me because you've got your basal metabolic rate, which is how much body, how much, how many calories your body burns just kicking around. There's a thermic effect of food, so when you burn calories just eating. There's meat, so non-exercise activated thermogenesis. So moving around and then eat, so exercise achieved thermogenesis so the calories you burn with exercise i feel like i might be another one but i've forgotten off the top of my head
0: no i think that is it i think um fat burners <laughs> t3
1: and then so the one, biggest
0: thing i sorry go on
1: i was going to say the thing there is when people say oh my metabolism is dysregulated is it might impact your neat it won't impact your eat it won't impact the thermic effect of food it's only going to impact your bmr so it might lower your metabolic rate slightly but you still have full control over three of the other four areas and I think one of the things I wanted to talk about was exercise, and I'll probably do the podcast on it next week, and you mentioned consistency, is that if you can improve your running speed, you know, 1% a week, which will be a small gain, then over a period of time, you're going to be able to burn so many more calories in the same time. And one of the issues that I see is people not tracking their training, not progressing their training, not being consistent with their training, and you have this fat burning tool at your disposal you know you've mentioned calorie deficit a few times the food you take in the calories you burn you have to you know there's only so low you can drive your calories but in theory you can burn and burn and burn more and more and more and that's something that we need to really take advantage of and again consistency is what people need from that front because you know i've done it before i'll train for six months you know and I'll stop for a bit and I go back and I'm suddenly back to where I was at month three, but it's month nine. And if you look at that over the course of years and years and people not making any progress over the course of years, then that's something that, that they can factor in and just has such a big impact, let alone all the health benefits. So I think that it's something to, to really push and, and to emphasize.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's why we're so keen on, you know, people controlling the variables as much as possible in training. And again, it's fine to go to classes. It's fine to do this and do that. But the more control of the variables you have, the more you can increase the output or control the output even. Like say, if you're just going and you're doing like a Zumba class or whatever, and you're not tracking anything, it's very hard to then go, I need to, you know, I'm not losing weight. I need to burn more calories if you're not in control of it. You know, so even if you're wearing some kind of heart rate monitor, Fitbit, Apple Watch, whatever, and it tells you some kind of fictitious amount of calories, you burnt 7,000 calories in that Zumba class. Well done. it doesn't matter. You can still know. Well, if I want to up that, I need to burn eight thousand calories. You know, whatever it is. So it's just the XA kind of controlling those variables. So just a quick one to go back to the actual subject of the podcast for once. Um, that's what I was going to say again. Kind of when you're set up to maintain fat, when you go into that calorie deficit, and that's when people go, "I'm in starvation mode." Again, your body's fighting losing weight, so that's when it slows down your metabolism or slow down your thyroid. Again, these are going more into extremes. But also your output, you know, so if I, you know, 110 kilos and I go down to 100 kilos, guess what, each day I'm burning less calories because I'm 10 kilos lighter. You're damn right, if I wore a 10 kilo vest for a day, I'd burn more calories because I'd be heavier. That's just simple stuff. So that's when you need to always kind of keep on shifting those calories down and reducing. But also going down to the, um, the kind of the neat. So neat, everyone thinks neat. Walking, it's all walking. It's how many steps you take. It's not, it's me now. It's just me talking with my hands. You know, it's me fidgeting, shifting around. That's all neat as well. And I know you've experienced it, Joe, when you've been on a very yeah. extreme diet. Is, you know, so when we come back in, you know, six or seven weeks when I'm on my 600 calorie diet a day, I'll just be sat here, not moving, you know, not fidgeting, probably talking a lot quieter, not as full of energy because my body's literally going, conserve as many calories as possible so right now I'm you know 2,200 and I'm all right and I'm chatting just had a yogurt just had some fruit and I've had some coffee um so it's something to be aware of and that's why you know we say to people like well track your steps because you imagine if your steps are at 10,000 so just the old arbitrary 10,000 steps and you start bringing your calories down if this comes down as well then we're still meeting in the middle so we're not going to you know, we're not increasing the output. We're actually matching it. That makes sense to everyone. So that's why it's important to, again, track the variables. So if you keep that 10,000 all the way through whilst you bring your calories down, you're creating that deficit. But if you're not tracking these things, like I said, and your body's tricking you to don't walk around as much as work. Don't go to, you know, the water fountain. Don't take the steps. Don't do these little bits and bats that you normally do. Your calorie output will actually go down and it'll end up kind of more than likely matching the input. So you won't, you'll still be at that stalemate. And that's when people are just like, I've done everything and you know, there's nothing I can do. I've cut down on my food. I'm still not losing weight. It's like, cause you're not burning it as much. Yeah. There's so again, always,
1: sadly, there's always more you can do, isn't there? And I think that that's again, coming to that, that open mindset when we look at these things of, you know, what am I willing to do? Am I willing to do more? And that's where you often see the successful clients because, they take that extra step. They go the extra mile. They look at the extra variable, the extra kind of brick in the wall that does add up to make that difference. You know, you, and it's obviously it's almost unnecessary depth for a lot of people. But then, why not look at the? Why not look at those extra variables if it's that important? to you? Why not put in that extra one or two percent if it's all going to help?
0: Yeah, and I think again, you know, it's almost like we're going a bit extreme. here you know, like getting people to get the stage ready. We're not, but again, it's you've got to steep yourself in that reality of are you prepared to do what you need to do to get the results you think you want? And if you're not, and like I said, we're not saying like, Oh, well, you know, someone's got like, you know, two kids and they get five hours sleep a night, but they have to get up and they have to go and do hill sprints. You don't have to do that, but then you can't expect to get the results of someone who'd have to do that. If that makes sense. You know, I, I can't, you can't expect to then be looking like, Oh, I can't think of any famous fitness influencers what's richard and judy's daughter whatever her name is haskell's missus you know she's chloe medley that's it she's quite famous everyone's like oh we look like her like okay but let's be realistic because she's you know in her 20s she's not had any kids she's you know got all this free time to train you know like twice a day whatever you know you are working full-time you're a single mom you've got you know two teenage kids you know, you've got all this past diet and history. You know, you're not prepared necessarily to do the work that could get you there. So again, that's when it kind of steeps into a bit of reality. It's great, you know. I'd be like, oh well, I want to look like uh, Vladimir Klitschko, it's like, <laughs> but I don't have, you know, the genetics. I don't have the previous training thing. You know, I don't have. I'm not a professional athlete. He's, old, you know, he's I, older than you, you know. Yeah, he's <laughs> older. But you go, know, then I'm all over it. You know, um, I'm not a professional athlete. I don't have those no genetics. It's just. You know, again, it's that steeped in reality. Like, am I prepared to train for four hours a day or six hours a day or whatever you used to do to build this base foundation for his physique? No, I've got a couple of dumbbells by my feet here. I train in my attic. You know, it's um, it's that bit of reality and kind of what you're prepared to do. Happy. I think we've talked for a long time there. Yeah. oh on, we've got a couple more questions. Here we go. Oh, yeah, there was another question. So someone said it's just from iPhone. Um, I think it was the same person who said, uh, yeah, if I have carbs at every meal, is it hard to lose weight? No, can I eat pasta? You can eat whatever you want. Again, it's just within that calorie deficit. The habits that we've set up are not a perfect formula for fat loss. It's not like, you know, so odds are you've followed another diet where you've eaten pasta, you've eaten bread, you've eaten cake, and you've lost weight. That's because you were in a calorie deficit. So not, your body doesn't think, well, I've signed up for sustained nutrition and pasta's on the avoid list. Therefore, if I eat pasta I'll gain weight, the habits are set up to give you the easiest way possible of creating a calorie deficit without having to count every single calorie and weigh every single gram. So of course you can eat pasta. you just got to be conscious that it's pretty calorie dense. It's not very filling enough for me. I don't find pasta filling whatsoever. And it can have a negative impact on your blood sugar, which can lead to you know more cravings later in the day. So it's going to come down to the individual. Yes, of course you can eat pasta. Again, if I go back to my example of if I eat a thousand calories of pasta per day, and nothing else, I will lose weight. It's not the food choice. The food choice will influence your hunger, your health, um, and how kind of full you are. But it's not going to, you know, automatically cause you to get weight.
1: I'd also like to point out that wine and gin is on the avoid list. But obviously I obviously <laughs> a lot of clients I, I are not, heeding, of not heeding
0: that one. So uh, uh,
1: next question. I lost the most weight of my life on boot camps, only eating carbs after workout and high fat, high protein the rest of the time. What are your thoughts on this? My thought would be if it works for you, then brilliant. But that is not the secret key to your fat loss that you need to be following because it's just focusing on some of the minutiae about that your body's more sensitive to carbs after a workout so your body can store them better. Yes, it is. But that's not you a know, green light to eat as many carbs as you want. You don't have to eat high fat. And I think that just asking you know, questions as a coach about how people feel day-to-day is the best way to assess a lot of this stuff. You know, how do you feel on this? It's quite obvious you know, when someone veers off plan on the evening, it's because of, it's a part to do with their choices throughout the day. And These are just the benefits you can get from assessing people's food frequently.
0: Yeah, again, it's, what you'll find is the more body fat you have, the less able you are to deal with carbohydrates so then the leaner you get the more efficient you are at using carbohydrates so that's why kind of high protein moderate fat diets you know relatively low carb or controlled carbs will work well for people who tend to be overweight but again as just said it's what makes you feel best it's not just like you have to earn your carbs nutrient timing will have little to no impact whatsoever on your results again it's going to be your overall nutrient intake. Um, you know, and your body's not going to store carbs any differently. For breakfast, is, is going to do post-workout. It's just going to be kind of how you feel. That's probably more of a psychological thing. Going, I've, I've earned my carbs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But- that that feeds nicely into Charlotte's question of what you think of pre-workout when you're tired? I think that it's a very interesting one. People say, you know, I had a banana and a Lucas Aid to fuel my session. Well, you know, that's 200 calories that's just you've knocked off your session. And I think that if you look at the difference between having a banana and a Lucas Aid, it's not going to add. 200 calories worth of performance to your session so you know if you're like me and you train for performance and you train for numbers and you you, you know it's really important that you hit those things then brilliant then have those things in that's not most of my clients most of my clients are looking for fat loss and they'd actually be better having a pre workout or a coffee to get that boost of energy they need for a good workout rather than having 200 calories of food because you're not if you look at the difference between an optimal session and a suboptimal session from a calorie perspective is honestly going to be about 20 calories. I can think of times where I've done rowing intervals when I've been on my ass and ones when I've had you know, significant amounts of food. It's not a massive difference in calories. I just felt better and did slightly better. It's, but if we're looking for fat loss, then that kind of has to be the, the priority. I've sent an article to one of my clients today about Chris Froome, ex Tour de France winner, Pride of Britain after um, Wiggins that he was kind of like in the mid-teens, kind of like coming 15th, 20th in races, and then his missus was a dietician or a nutritionist, made him cut his foods, lost loads of weight, not loads, but enough that he then became kind of the world number one, you know, so he would have done a lot of his sessions, tired, suboptimal, but it ended up benefiting him from a performance perspective, and the same kind of with fat loss, you're not going to You know, I would say you don't want to feel absolutely awesome for every single session. Is it, you know, it's going to be sessions when you're tired and you will benefit more by just pushing through that session with a bit of gusto and a bit of, you know, psychological willpower, just pushing yourself through. than you would be having a 200 calorie pre-workout shake with a banana in to try and get you through it because it's just 200 more calories you've got to burn, which is loads
0: Yeah. The amount of times we used to see people at Virgin go, um, buy two bottles of Lucasid and then go on the cross trainer for like 20, 30 minutes at a snail's pace. You just like literally. (laughs) Yeah. You've literally, ah, (laughs) freeze frame that. You've literally done, you know, kind of 500 calories there and you've burnt 30. Like (laughs) what are you doing? Um, but yeah, pre-workout. So I'm presuming you mean kind of the powdered, uh, kind of caffeine ones. Yeah. The cool, you know, you've, You've got to look at why you're having it. Is your sleep, you know, on par? Is your nutrition good? You know, there's a few different things that are going on, but there's no issue. But one thing I would say is, if you're smashing a pre-workout in the evening to go do an evening workout, that's probably gonna, well, it's definitely gonna impact your sleep. So possibly not the best idea. And like Joe said, every session is going to be great. You need to prioritize. So I had one client who's saying she's doing a hundred and forty-six kilometer bike ride this weekend unless you're stressing out about breaking the habits, it's like you need to decide what the goal is, you know, not like, oh, no, you need to maximize your fat loss. Like if you want to perform well on this, then eat well to perform on this. You know, you're going to have a huge calorie deficit. Don't just go, well, I'm just going to take carrot sticks and some hummus and then be absolutely on your ass. Yeah. So it's just picking your goal. Like say, is your goal performance or is it maximum fat loss? If it's maximum fat loss, then, you know, you're going to go into sessions a bit tired. You're not going to be bouncing off the walls. Um, people don't go to the Olympics in a fucking calorie deficit. You know, they're going to make sure that they're in a surplus and they've got loads of energy. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of picking your battles and picking the priority right there. And then for me, last question, (laughs) so Ben just said, um, so hard exercise is better earlier. Basically hard exercise is best whenever you can fit it in. Um, I prefer to train early. You know, I think the science is, you know, your testosterone is the highest at like 2 p.m. or 4 p.m. or something like that. But it's when you can fit it in is going to be the the best time. Go on, Joe. Yeah,
1: from a strength perspective, better um, on an evening when your testosterone's higher. If you look at from a recovery perspective about how much cortisol your body throws out, it's better to do it in the morning. Um, so when I do rowing sprint work, I try to do that in the morning. Uh, if I was doing weights, I'd try and do it in the evening. But again, we're just talking small percentages.
0: Yeah, it's what if, if you go like, oh, well, I'm supposed to go to the gym this evening, but now I can't make it cause work's got, and then train in the morning, you know, train when you're gonna be more likely to do it. Um, cause training is gonna be better than no training. So don't, you know, again, we're getting it down into the minutiae of when is the optimal time to train. Which is always fun. <laughs> yeah, That's just it. train, just just do it, you know what I mean? Like I say, I'm more likely to train first in the morning because if it gets past two o'clock, then I'm gonna find stuff and reasons why I can't do it because then I've got a smaller window I've got between two and four where I could possibly train and I'm going to end up easily finding stuff to do in there I'm going to be a bit tired I'll I'll just have something to eat now I'll do this as if I train in the morning although saying that I've not trained yet oh Um, it's 201 never mind then I'm more likely to say well I need to eat again now (laughs) right I think we should wrap it up there because I think we've been talking about six hours
1: if anyone gets to the end of this podcast, um, you can have a free taster with me because you've done a whole
0: lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you are going to regret saying that. No, you can't. Right. So thank you as always for joining us, guys, and spending the time with us. I don't even know what time it is. Oh, it's two o'clock? I wasn't joking. Jesus. It's two oh one. at one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yowza. I just won't listen to you. Right, guys. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the podcast.